1: Right now on Fast, the major average is snapping, a three-week losing streak. Discretionary stocks, materials, and financials leading the charge higher. Is this a bounce investors can get behind? Plus, one of our traders thinks now could be the time to think about betting on Germany. That surprising take and the reason why straight ahead. And later, our chart of the week. Hard to believe this name has jumped over 11% even as mortgage rates surged to their highest level this week since the great financial crisis. The big reveal is minutes away. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. On the desk tonight, Karen Feinerman, Jeff Mills, Steve Grosso, and Bono and Eisen. And we start off with a big bank breakout tonight. The financial names closing out a strong week with another gain today in this holiday shortened week, too. Take a look at the moves in some of these uh, financials jp morgan leading the pack up nearly five percent since last friday wells fargo bank of america citigroup with a four plus percent gain the move coming as interest rates continue to ratchet higher yields on the two year today hitting their highest level since two, november 2007 but is the rally in financials too good to be true karen i know you're not going to You're <laughs> going to say no it's not too good to be true too good to I'm be thankful. true i feel like it's
2: still a nightmare <laughs> where they i mean they were much higher earlier in the year so Obviously, I like the banks. I've longed the banks. Through good and bad, I've been long the banks. Um, I think that it's a nice bounce. I wish there were one more trading day to the week and maybe it would have bounced a little bit more. But I still think the valuations are really compelling here. You know, the bear case for the money center banks is that all of their investment banking business and, uh, you know, capital markets business is down. The SPAC business is gone. All that is true. But remember, half their business is net interest margin. Right, so that's a that's really doing well. We always look at the two-year tenure. That's not actually how they make their money. It's much shorter than that. So to the extent, extent short-term rates are higher, that's great for them. The valuations I think are really compelling. J.P. Morgan, obviously, I love Jamie. You know, three and three point four percent dividend yield, eleven times earnings. Actually, a little bit cheaper than that. I find that compelling. I do think there's a little loan growth there. You can make a decent bear case, but to me it's valuation, and if I own none, I would buy it here. We'll probably also see a boost in FIC, I I would think, with the crazy
1: moves, Jeff Mills, that we've seen in fixed income commodities and currency.
3: Yeah, I think you get a boost there. And if you look at a stock like Goldman Sachs, for example, I think that's an interesting one to watch. One of the only that's kind of battling with that downward sloping 200-day moving average right now. So take a look at that. Maybe that gives us a clue as to how the others might behave if they get to that point. But I've generally been surprised at the resilience in banks. I think Karen's certainly been more right than I have. But thinking about this week specifically, I don't know how much I would take from it. Uh, better economic data, PMI's beat, better initial claims, so all good things. The market was modestly oversold as we came into the week, so banks sort of participated in that move higher. But if you think about the labor market specifically, at least in my mind, whether you want to call it overheating or just too tight, you know, until that changes, I think the Fed's going to be pretty engaged. And an aggressive Fed keeps that risk of recession higher and we still have an inverted yield curve we have weakening in housing we'll talk about that later lower leading economic indicators financial conditions generally are tightening Uh, so I think it makes it a hard road for banks going forward I think we have this chart This is the last thing I'll say but um, look at the complexion of market performance under the surface so banks relative to utilities bank made another relative low just two days ago So when thinking about that leadership complexion, it's still fairly cautious, and I don't know that that changes anytime soon.
1: The counter, though, to the strong jobs report, meaning the Fed is gonna have to go harder, meaning we're going to go into a recession, Vonowen, is that maybe a strong labor market makes it possible that a soft landing is is a possibility at this point.
4: Uh, It is, I mean, and I would say the last, the last jobs report kind of give you kind of gave us a glimpse into that goldilocks scenario that, that you're speaking to. Uh, as for the rally, I think there's a, there are a few other things under the surface that are bubbling that, that perhaps we've kind of overlooked. And we're talking about we've talked about loan growth. I think Karen touched on that in the the top of the segment, but also like defaults, and things of that nature are all still trending towards historical lows now you can say that those are lagging indicators, and they are, but so far that's the data that we have to go on. And you can talk about right arrows, you can talk about assets, um, you can talk about the deal calendar perhaps waning. All of those things I think they've kind of already made loan loss provisions for. But until we really start to see defaults start to creep up, that's really going to be the telltale sign. Now, I think that is probably looming, but as for now, that has remained strong. And I think that's really why you can, kind of started to see a little bit of a bounce this week. With that said, I would say that the 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 price to earnings has been compelling for quite some time on the way down as well as now on the way up. So I don't know if that is enough for me to kind of get in them or add to the positions now. But I do want to kind of keep an equal lens here, um, kind of noting some of the positives along with the negatives that I tend to uh, highlight.
1: I mean, Steve, what do you think? Because if you are, you are of the belief that a recession is coming, that unemployment will tick higher, that things will slow down in general, the defaults will continue to, to tick higher, then would you be a buyer of banks here?
5: No, I, I think that well, everyone made great points, and I could see both sides of it, actually. But I think the, the reason why we saw them bounce off the bottom recently is the market pulled them up, number one. Number two if you look at the yield curve the yield curve is still inverted but it's a lot less inverted on a relative basis that's number two number three you have a little bit of a goldilocks somebody said that i think it might have been bono uh, until you get cpi next week on the 13th when the cpi comes out and it's a great number to the downside we're going to hear as Scott said in his lead into the show, we're gonna hear the Fed be just as hawkish. So it's gonna mean nothing. So you're gonna see stocks rally for another day or two, probably close to the falling 200 day moving average in the S&P, which which will be right around 4,200 by the time we get there. But then after that CPI, after the hawkish chatter, the markets will return to where they came from recently
1: lower. Unless the CPI is hotter than you think. That was Karen and I were just discussing that off camera, mm. but that that may be the thing that the markets react to. It almost
2: doesn't matter what the CPI is going to be unless it's hot. Right, Karen? That's right. I think that a hot CPI would really scare people. A cool CPI is like, okay, we knew that was coming. We knew a lot of things had rolled over and we saw what happened to oil. And so we expected this. But I think that, so Steve, let me just ask you a question. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, yeah. okay. Um, so you think in any scenario, <laughs> if it's a hot CPI, people think, wow, Fed's super hawkish now. And if it's a cold CPI, then you think- Still hawkish. Still hawkish, is that right? So down in either case.
5: Yeah, I think we're gonna go down and that's why I said that I, I think the next catalyst to the upside for me are the midterm elections. So I think we're gonna be choppy and I, I think we're gonna see the markets probably go lower but then once the midterms come into focus, I think we'll probably rip to year end.
1: So if that's a scenario and I don't want to play, I mean, we are fast money, so I do want to play trader. But, you know, Jeff, if we are to believe that, that most scenarios out of the CPI report are negative for stocks uh, because the Fed will still be hawkish, that would mean further inversion of the yield curve.
3: Yeah, well, I think that's probably true because people are still worried about slowing economic growth sometime out in the future. And that's what's been driving that inversion. And I think, you know, if you look at macro in general, right, compared to where we were at the June lows, I think generally things... Uh, are worse, rates are higher, leading economic indicators, like I said, are lower. You've got utilities pressing higher, semis pressing lower, so that risk barometer is still very defensive. And then look abroad as well. You have Europe already testing previous lows, EM already testing previous lows. Obviously they have all their own issues, but 40% of the S&P 500 has revenue sourced from abroad. Communication services here is testing lows. It's one of the first sectors to do that. I don't think it's going to be the last. Um, And just watch interest rates because it's been the market uh, on the equity side that's been more gullible to this sort of Fed pivot narrative. And we've seen this decoupling between equities, especially looking at PE ratios, for example, and the two-year. We talked about the two-year continuing to press higher, making those new highs since 2007. Watch that decoupling. If rates continue to press higher, even if the equity markets continue to bounce, I think that that's a telltale Sign that you're probably going to see multiples compress uh, to reflect the reality of what's going on in the rates market.
1: All right, let's stick with financials here. The chart master is here with his take on whether this week's momentum can continue. Let's get to Carter Worth of Worth Charting. Carter, what are you looking at?
6: Well, we're going to drill down here just as you've been doing on financials and banks in general. But before we get to the charts, I think it is important to make the point that While it was a good week uh, for the sector, regional banks underperformed the S&P 500 financial sector. Uh, The NASDAQ um, bank index with almost 300 stocks underperformed the sector. So the sector is influenced by things like Berkshire, uh, property casualty insurance stocks, life health, investment banks and brokers, asset managers. But look, look at the charts and figure it out from there. Two all-data charts. This is all-data going back to 1989, and it's simply two colors, two lines. Uh, the top is the S&P. The bottom or is uh, the financial sector. The market has almost doubled the performance of financials since the beginning of GICS data in 1989. Um, if you look at this a different way, second chart, it's the exact same thing. It's just a relative performance line. So it's a ratio. And financials, on the lows of COVID, we're at all-time lows, and they're basically barely off that low. Now, of course, that might be the opportunity. I don't think it is, but some people would say this is why it's so cheap or so much upside potential. Let's look at the actual index itself. This is XLF, a great ETF, very liquid, tradable. And so the sell-off of 27% brought us back to, as all will know, the highs from which we sold off. So uh, you get down, uh, all the way down to the pre-COVID high, and we've bounced, as has the market. So the final chart and the real question is this, as we work into the apex of these converging trend lines, is this a setup for financials to break out to the upside, or basically, are we sort of churning and stall before ultimately sort of slipping lower? I'm in the latter camp, uh, I want to be underweight banks.
1: All right, Carter, thank you. We'll see you in a few minutes on Options Action. Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. Um, Steve, you like your charts. So what do you think of Carter's? So I, I
5: do like the charts. I do like Carter's charts. And I think that the overarching message on a fundamental level is that when expectations for shorter rates subside or come back in, that's when you're going to get the real steepening of the yield curve. That's when you're going to see value outperform and the key and the core of that are going to be banks. We're not there yet, so I expect this XLF to probably turn around and go lower. Shockingly, Wells Fargo, you said, you said it before on the, on, the, on the intro, is the outperformer as far as the monthly and the year to date. That chart looks the best to me.
1: Um, rates are like any other markets though, they anticipate things. And if we are to believe that we understand what the Fed's path is through the end of the year, Bono, and then perhaps uh, the shorter end of the yield curve has factored this in a bit.
4: Mm, I, I think I tend to disagree there, Mel, and I, shockingly enough, uh, you tend to read my mind, but I, I really think that the markets have been fighting the Fed for some time now, the better part of two quarters. So I'm not really sure whether I'm looking at the futures market. Just just look at the expectation for the next rate hike. It was mostly 50 basis points. Now I think it's about two-thirds to maybe 75 uh, percentage um, in terms of probabilities for a 75 basis point hike now. So I I really don't think the markets are pricing in Fed action properly at all. And I I truly think that's the crux of the issue there. Um, So until we get a bit more clarity there, or perhaps until markets are more willing to actually take the Fed at face, at face value um, and interpret what they're saying and then have that read into markets, I think it's not going to be until that point that truly the markets are going to be reflective of, of truly where, where Fed policy is headed.
2: So if Bonwin is right, then to me, it's not so much about financials. It's about high flyers and, and, and big, okay. right? big yeah. PE, where you, I think you have the most vulnerability. Right. More than more than financials, even if the economy slows down. So, for instance, like an IGB. Like an IGB, which, which short. I'm short, but I did cover some this morning after we had our discussion uh-huh. about, well, you know, something like DocuSign being in up, stopping yeah. in Z scale. So. You should come to the dark side, Melissa. You're really good at this <laughs> yeah, TV you. thing. Really good. <laughs> but but then I can't just... play traded or
1: faded okay. like that. Uh, coming up from German stock valuations to a struggling retailer's rebound, we go inside the week's biggest market surprises and how to play them. Plus, why may be time to send your strong dollars on a flight abroad. Details coming up on Options Action. More fast money is next. Welcome back, regular Fast Money fans. No, this show is full of staggering stats. Chartmaster Carter Braxtonworth hitting us with one just last night. Take a look at this. The total return on utilities since September of 1997 is equal to the total return on the S&P 500. It's rare, but that fact left us all speechless. And it got us thinking what other nuggets of information are out there that our traders are surprised by. Jeff Mills, kick it off for us.
3: All right, so let me just give you a real quick bonus one because I thought this was interesting (laughs) and more sort of long-term like like Carter. So all of our our clients anchor to the S&P 500. It's a gold standard. You can't beat the S&P 500. Compare all performance to that index. But small cap has actually outperformed the S&P 500 by 136% over the last 20 years. So just remember that that is not the entire stock market. There are areas that sometimes outperform. I think that that's worth remembering. Um, Now, back to my actual surprise from this week, Uh, basically oil down energy stocks don't care. I think we have the chart here. You can see the decoupling. Uh, You know, you wonder if it says more about the commodity or actually the energy companies themselves. I think it probably says something about both in terms of oil. You know, maybe the weakness is not going to be severe. There are still supply issues that might support the price. And the stocks are just better run, better capital discipline from the companies. uh, And they're still quite profitable at the and lower levels. I think that that's important to remember. I, I think about a stock like EOG trading at less than eight times forward earnings. Uh, they said on their earnings call they could pay their current dividend at $44 in WTI. So um, these companies are just a lot different than they were a number of years ago. I think at their current valuations, uh, they can still be very profitable, and that's probably why they're behaving the way they are relative to the commodity.
1: Can we go back to the small caps? Can we do, a, can we do a more you know? Because I think that stat deserves it. So small caps have outperformed the S&P 500 by, what was that, 136 basis points in the past 20 years? Percent. Uh, over,
3: per- percent. Uh, over, over 136% cumulative performance over the last 20 oh, years. So you look at the, if you look at the S&P 600 small cap versus wow. the S&P 500, 136% cumulative return over the last two decades. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're thinking about that and diversifying portfolios away from just large caps sometimes.
1: Hard act to follow, Bono, and what's your stat?
4: (laughs) (laughs) You can say that again. Um, And I really shouldn't be surprised at this point. It's a meme stock. But Bed Bath & Beyond Price Action this week, it's up about 30%. And that is in the face of what I would call pretty some pretty scary you know development so you 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 clearly have the ryan cohen situation where he's come out he's done the reporting that he needs to do and said that he's taken all chips off the table to the tune of about 70 million dollars You have the unfortunate death of their cfo and you have a stock that's just in an existential crisis and turmoil you don't know if suppliers are willing to ship i understand that they're shoring up liquidity but if you were playing for the short squeeze you got it You got exactly what you were playing for. And to now double down, I don't know what the real catalyst is here. And anytime I see the retail investor perhaps posturing themselves to get hurt, I'm certainly going to take notice. Um, I'm just utterly shocked at this one. I don't really understand the playbook here going forward.
2: Hmm. Karen? Yes. So, you know, I often say buy when there's blood on the streets, even if it is your own. This one happens to not be my own, but it could be soon because I bought some today. (laughs) Germany, the DAX. If you look at what's happened, obviously, there are so many macro headwinds. Headwinds is even way too, too uh, subtle a word for what's happening in Germany and other European countries right now. However, if we look at various crises over time, we look at 2008, we look at the German uh, Greek bank crisis 2011. If we look at the P.E., the current P.E., which I know it will go down somewhat, but is trading well, well below the average P.E., let alone the high P.E., so that's over the last 14 years. But here's another stat that I find also interesting and important to the story. Let's go to the next one, which is the DAX versus the price to book. And this sort of takes into account all the earnings that the DAX companies have had during the last 14 years. So if you look at how low that is, the price to book it was the average. Average 2.76. Now I think we're at 1.78. Uh, now we're at 1.7. That's a 40% discount to the average. Germany will find a way. I feel like this is a, this is a pandemic moment mm. for the DAX. And so the EWG is the, uh, is the ETF that I used. All right. Grasso, you're up.
5: Mine is geopolitical. And, and this to me is shocking because I, it, it's shocking and it's not shocking. The market doesn't factor something in until it knows what to factor in. But the China-Taiwan tensions, every day, another headline. To me, I don't understand, we're worried about June lows. If there is some ratcheting up of hostility with China and Taiwan, we're gonna drop probably to the February 2020 level of 3250 in an afternoon. It could be over the weekend. It will be a horrendous drop. And I think the market is being overly cavalier about this, as if it's not going to happen. I think Russia, Ukraine is probably leading me to believe that this is more likely to happen than not. And I think the markets are ill-prepared.
1: The National Security Advisor this week just saying that it is a distinct threat that China invades Taiwan. So... I agree. Uh, Up next on Fast Money, a winning housing stock gets crowned chart of the week. But will this trade end up being a fixer upper as mortgage rates climb? And be sure to stay tuned to the top of the hour. Bitcoin topping a key psychological level today. CNBC tackles a jump above the 20,000 mark in tonight's 6 p.m. Eastern special Crypto Night in America. You're watching Fast Money live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money Time to reveal our chart of the week. It's Zillow surging more than 11 percent since Tuesday. The stock is building back gains even as mortgage rates hit their highest level since 2008. Zillow, though, is still down 40 percent this year. So as housing data turns bearish, is the stock still worth a look? Karen, you're hoping
2: the answer is yes. Yes, I'm hoping it's worth a look. I own it. This is one of the blood on the streets kind of one for me, actually. But, you know, we saw some of the data from some of the home builders. The, the earnings themselves or the outlook wasn't fantastic, but they talked about how things got a little better during the quarter quarter how traffic picked up that's good for zillow i love the transformation of their business to asset light i like their open door business where they can still be sort of involved with buying homes but they don't need to put up any of the capital so that's really good they are the place to be so i like this there there's there i like the asset light as i said it i think we're going to see a floor here i think is put in and if we get any kind of housing uptick that's going to be really good for zillow
1: all right, it is time now for the final trade. Let's go around the horn, Jeff Mills.
3: So NVIDIA, I don't know that you need to sell it here, but I'd be a seller on any rallies. Look to that 50-day, 165. I just think the chart's broken. It's made new lows. Uh, I think more weakness ahead.
1: Steve Grasso.
5: Uranium play. It was my final trade last week on a Friday. NXE, Next Gen Energy, traded up dramatically this week.
1: Bono and Eisen.
0: XLE.
2: Karen Feinerman. Yes, so related to energy. I took off a trade, uh, so my trade is sell uh, the OIH, buy back oil. That spread is converged.
1: That doesn't rest here on fast money. Don't go anywhere. Options action is
0: up next. What's on the horizon for financial markets?